0: Show me the way to go home I'm tired and I want to go to bed I had a little drink about an hour ago And it's gone right to my head Wherever I may roam On land or sea or foam, You can always hear me sing this song Show me the way to go home
1: Hello and welcome to the virtual pub for some drinks trivia and social history with absolutely no tasting notes. I'm Tim and I'm joined by my drinking buddy, Elyrie. What are we serving up today, my darling?
0: Ugh. Um, Before we start, I must ask, are you a lover or are you a hater?
1: Oh, I like to think I'm more of a lover than a hater. I enjoy the beauty of life.
0: Well, it's relevant to my drink anyway, because okay. I have got... A Camden Marmite
1: ale. Ah, oh, how exciting! We've mentioned Ooh. that on a previous episode, but I see the relevance written on the can.
0: Love or hate? Let's find out. I, I'm a Marmite lover.
1: Mm-hmm. Love. Absolutely. One. Well, if we were referring to Marmite, Not I'm sure definitely how a feel lover.
0: About this. It's kind of like a Guinness, really. Yeah. Because does, does, does it does it taste like see? ale? <laughs>
1: yeah. Given. Uh, yeah. Given that there's Marmite yeast in ale anyway,
0: <laughs> yeah, not terrible, but wouldn't go as far to say it as I love this.
1: Okay, well you've got to be one or the other. There's no in between, as we know with Marmite. It's a binary system. Exactly. We live in a polarised society. But I'd like to society. talk today
0: about Valentine's Day.
1: Oh, okay. Valentine's yeah. Valentine's Day. I forgot v- there was a theme.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Valentine's Day, and to be a, to be honest, I'd rather. I'd rather be a lover than a, kind of, what I just said about that drink, which was, I don't hate it, but I wouldn't say I love it.
1: (laughs) Sure. But, um, so you're having a yeasty valentines.
0: (laughs) I am. What are you drinking?
1: I am drinking a Pornstar Martini.
0: (laughs) you basic
1: bitch Uh, I uh yeah I had to go full out with the let's use the term romance loosely um and I decided to go for a porn star martini so I'm going to tell you something about this straight away so the the porn star martini is um a cocktail made with vanilla flavored vodka passoa, which is a passion fruit um liqueur passion fruit juice, and lime juice. And it is traditionally accompanied by a chilled shot glass of Prosecco. Um, I have not gone for the shot glass (laughs) of Prosecco. I have gone for a full bottle of Rosé as my side drink. Um, And that's because I thought that was even more Valentine's-y to have a lovely pink romantic drink, Rosé, roses, etc.
0: So are you the kind that likes to just get shit-faced on Valentine's?
1: Well... (laughs) 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 i mean why go for a shot glass of wine when you can have a bottle was was my thoughts around that it didn't necessarily have anything to do with the sentiments of valentine's day um the porn star martini (laughs) is not a martini it's not a true martini but a lot of drinks do use that that term but uh it's it's not because it doesn't have kind of you know the vermouth in it of any sort but this cocktail was actually created in 2003 relatively modern cocktail, considering it, it seems so well known now. It was created by a Ghanaian-born businessman called Douglas Ankara. And um, he actually uh, uh, created while he was working at the Townhouse Cocktail Bar in Knightsbridge. So he's been living and working in Britain for a long time. He also was the co-founder of the London Academy of Bartenders, or LAB, otherwise known. It was based in Soho. I think it's now Swift Bar. Um, but he actually only passed away uh, in 2021, very recently. And uh, he was very influential on the cocktail scene, particularly uh, in London, but but much more so with the likes of something like the Pornstar Martini. He was inspired when he went to um, South Africa, went to Cape Town, and it was... Named after Maverick. I think he found it in Maverick Bar and it was originally called the Maverick Martini before he changed it to the Pornstar Martini. Um, it's reportedly the most ordered cocktail in the UK as of November 2018 when it overtook the Mojito. Both of those surprised me. Ooh. That they were the most yeah. popular cocktails. It is a surprise. The Mojito and then the Pornstar Martini. But... That claim is even backed up with Google search data. There were 18.4 million searches worldwide for Porn Star Martini um, with the peanut Somebody Colour-
0: got so nerdy with their research this week.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I went deep. I went deep for the uh, Porn Star. <laughs> The Pina Colada um, was uh, second place with 10.5 million searches, and Aperol Spritz in third with more than 8.2 million registered searches. I do wonder if the enormous number isn't entirely to do with it being a cocktail. (laughs) Was this an Mm -hmm. accidental search, is what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) But either way. A
0: lot of people uh, do that, don't they, on purpose? Not to get too technical and nerdy, but some people's SEO strategy is based on typos. Oh,
1: God. SEO strategy bore off. Um.
0: (laughs) Get back to your basic bitch cocktail.
1: So, the name has proved controversial, obviously. Um, Ankara, he he denied that it was meant to be deliberately provocative. Um, He said he wanted it to evoke... A stylish and confident drink that's pure indulgence, sexy fun, and evocative. Uh, he's denied being a fan oh, of pornography. He, <laughs> he said he wasn't <laughs> idolizing any porn stars in particular. Um, nevertheless, in 2019, Marks and Spencer renamed uh, the Porn Star Martini in a can as the Passion Star oh. Martini because they had complaints that it normalized pornography. And here's confession time. I am actually drinking a passion star martini from Marks and Spencer. <laughs> and this is wow. because a friend of mine left <laughs> it in my fridge um, about eight months ago. And it's just been sitting there. And I thought at some point this will become relevant to a podcast. So I finally decided to crack it open and now, have it.
0: We all know how bad my memory is. Mm-hmm. Is this low-key shade was that friendly
1: <laughs> no <laughs> no it wasn't actually i don't think you would dare to bring okay, something that fine. bad into my flat it's not something i would normally drink <laughs> uh, hence the bottle of wine by the side i'm just going to smash through it because it needs drinking uh, no it wasn't
0: okay.
1: it wasn't you you are you are excused but anyway i thought it, it
0: i'm good i normally bring like daffodils and prosecco and i'm good at gifts
1: yeah exactly exactly um, yeah. But I, I thought that was quite interesting. I wasn't expecting to get so much information out of the porn star martini, actually, that discovering, you know, a bit more about Douglas Ankara, um and his legacy and uh, yeah.
0: Um, well, I looked into love potions. I went a bit classy.
1: Oh, <laughs> are, are you did you like properly go to a witch doctor and are you trying to ensnare someone in particular? It's not me, is it?
0: Well, how else do you think I'm married? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody else would be stupid enough to do that.
1: I had it down as blackmail um... rather than rather than a, <laughs> a potion, but sure. I These thought you had threats. some dirt. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I read into love potions. I know um, more often than not they're in, you know, mythical stories, fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was a time when they were legit... Um, Back in kind of 17th, 18th century Europe, um, limited jobs around that time often meant that uh, a knowledge of potions were an additional way to get a bit of money. Um, So kind of jobs that often involved the selling of love potions included enchanters, midwives and also prostitutes. Uh, Prostitutes were seen as like the most skilled and masterful within those job sets of ladies of the night. Mm -hmm. They would know their shiz when it comes to love potions and administering them. Um, So I read into some prolific women who concocted love potions and I found a lovely story about a lady called Catherine Monvoisin. She was also known as La Voisin. She was born in 1640 in France. Uh, She had a natural knack for reading people. Uh, which she accurately coupled with palm reading. She got a bit of a name for herself. She was uh, very prolific when it came to reading horoscopes. Um, she also used to provide fetal abortions. Uh, she sold poisons and potions, whether that was to help you with love, murder, or just everyday health. So all the essentials. Whatever you need. Depending on your mood. Pop and see Catherine. Am
1: I feeling loving? Yeah, want, am, am I abortion? feeling murderous? to kill someone? Yeah. Yeah. Just your typical high street fare.
0: (laughs) Like super drug. Mm, Like
1: super drug. Like like an ancient super drug. (laughs) Could you get a meal deal? Could you get sandwich crisps and a drink?
0: (laughs) Only if you got your loyalty card. (laughs) Oh, so her love potion uh, consisted of bones, the teeth of moles, human blood, Spanish fly beetles, and even a small amount of human remains.
1: I mean, that sounds delightful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure, to be honest, I think I have Mm. had that in all but one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'd be surprised if M&S haven't canned it yet.
1: They've renamed it to something (laughs) inane, though. It'll be called the... uh... And
0: then Aldi did a (laughs) knockoff.
1: It'll be called Anthony Hopkins Remains of the Day.
0: Let's move yep. on from that. <laughs> so in 1679, uh, Catherine was arrested after some incidents, uh, after people had taken her potions, unsurprisingly. Um, but she did confess of her crimes of murder. Now, she'd already successfully, a couple of years prior to that, had uh, managed to worm her way out of allegations of witchcraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after people started dying and whatnot, they were getting a bit more concerned, and yeah, she was uh, arrested, confessed her crimes of murder, and she was burned at the stake for witchcraft a year later. So not great. That was one of many examples of kind of what went down with love potions. They were made of pretty nasty shit. Mm-hmm. They'd make you really ill, and if you were made, you know, found to be making and selling them, you're a witch, and you did. <laughs> So, yeah, they're not all that popular anymore, love portions. Uh, but what we do have is aphrodisiacs. Oh,
1: of course, the uh, the more modern, modern mm. acceptable version. I mean, what exactly. What hasn't been claimed to be an aphrodisiac by daytime ITV TV?
0: Exactly. There's a lot of marketing bullshit when it comes around to aphrodisiacs. Um for anyone who doesn't know, aphrodisiac is a substance that increases your sexual desire and arousal. Um most common methods of uh using an aphrodisiac is eating or drinking, but scent and sound can also apply. Is there an anal option? Um like a pessary? Yeah, like sure. Like a suppos-
1: suppository. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, pessary is a vaginal I don't, right? I don't The
1: fact that I don't Just know it suggests it's probably vaginal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
0: know. Yeah. Put an oyster Sh- up there. see Sh- what put it whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, as you said, lots of claims around um, aphrodisiacs. Surprisingly, they're all the things that sell well uh, around Valentine's Day. Strawberries, oysters, chocolate, wine, etc, etc um but they are just that their claims um there was an italian study uh in 2009 uh with red wine where they said it's um it's a regular intake of a moderate amount of red wine has been associated with a higher sexual desire and function in women but because this is just based on a survey it's not really you know pharmacological proof it's just who'd have guessed give some women who'd have
1: guessed that italians yeah, hear some thought that red wine yeah. would make women sexy give women sexy times exactly. <laughs> who'd have thought
0: <laughs> <laughs> and i bet the study was done by some wine merchant <laughs> yeah exactly
1: <laughs>
0: uh but there are some scientifically proven aphrodisiacs mm-hmm. do you know any of them
1: um I scientific it, it depends what you're looking at I mean aph- scientific measures of aphrodisia are usually to do with things like blood flow aren't they so um hmm. yeah I would I would definitely think alcohol could be one of those ones I'm gonna say asparagus no
0: that was on the list of like you know marketing marketing bullshit BS. yeah right yeah. So these ones of that these are the scientifically proven ones that I discovered. One was saffron. Ooh. Uh, so after some testing with some rats, it was discovered that um saffron uh, showed a a vast increase of sexual behavior between the rats. So they were getting it on a lot more compared to their counterparts who were not eating saffron.
1: Wow, saffron's really expensive. Those are some fancy rats.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh Another interesting one is nutmeg. Uh, hmm. so that was a similar study, and it increased the mating between some mice. Mice love their nutmeg.
1: I've had a lot of nutmeg this week because I've been eating haggis that I made oh. after after the Burns episode. I <laughs> made my own haggis, and it's got lots of nutmeg in it. Be warned.
0: <laughs> I'm glad we're on Zoom. <laughs> Uh, number three is the fruit of a date palm. Now that uh is more of a physical one. It's it, it's seen to increase the sperm count in male rats. Oh, I don't care about so that. It's not so much about the sexual desire. It's just yeah, if you want a load of sperm, I'm not eat some fruit of a not, date palm. Not
1: bothered what the count is. It's relevant.
0: And my favorite one, mm-hmm. it's a bit obscure. So Panax ginseng. Mm. Now, that has the reputation for being the most potent aphrodisiac in the world. There have been lots of studies, but my favourite one was where they gave it to rabbits, and they found that it consistently stimulated the release of the neurotransmitter responsible for erections. So, Mm. lots of rabbit boners.
1: I feel like if there's one animal that famously didn't need an aphrodisiac, it's rabbits. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like, there are phrases God, to do with how them little on, like, they need on, like,
0: nutmeg. Yeah,
1: it's <laughs> poor rabbits. It must have been absolutely knackered by the end of that.
0: <laughs> uh, so, yeah, alcohol's not really on the list, but it's, it's easier to kind of concoct a aphrodisiac, you know, a, a sexually enhancing cocktail, maybe, with, you know... Saffron's a good one, nutmeg. I drink a lot of cocktails with nutmeg in them anyway. Mm-hmm. I'm partial to a, a rum punch with some nutmeg grated on top. Yep. Uh, I also found a cocktail, um, a saffron rosewater gimlet. Oh, yeah. Which sounds delicious, and if it's gonna make things happen, sure, why not? <laughs> so, yeah, after reading about the scientifically proven aphrodisiacs. Yep. They suggested that gin might be a good option because obviously you can create gin with all kinds of different botanicals. All oh, botanicals. And saffron nutmeg, Panax ginseng, we can add those to gins. So mm-hmm. um, give it time. Gin is still in the middle of its boom, I think. And the marketing guys are going to come up with some ultimate aphrodisiac gin next to no time.
1: I mean, if they don't, I, will. I was going to say, if, the, if it's open, if it's there, go ahead. Yeah. You could create love potion gin.
0: Would you? Would you go for that? Saffron nutmeg yeah. and panax ginseng. Not gin? not
1: because I desire an aphrodisiac, but because all of those sound really tasty. I like those things, so I would.
0: Okay. All right. Done. I'm gonna make my own love potion.
1: On the spreadsheets. <laughs> <laughs> right. Shall I tell you a bit about about Valentine's Day? I suppose Valentine's history. <laughs> So, um, also called St. Valentine's Day, because it is St. Valentine, or the Feast of St. Valentine. Celebrated on February 14th, for anyone who doesn't know. And it did originate as a Christian feast day, honouring either one or two early Christian martyrs named St. Valentine, because we think there were two of them, and they get sort of mixed up and interchanged a bit. Um, There are quite a few martyrdom stories associated with various (laughs) Valentines that are connected to February 14th. So actually digging into the origins of this is quite confusing. Um, There are accounts of imprisoned St. Valentines in Rome um, who were imprisoned because they were ministering to Christians when they were still being persecuted under the Roman Empire in the 3rd century. Um, But the the Feast of St. Valentine was established by... Um, a Pope, by Roman Pope Galatius I in AD 496 Um, and that was officially then to be celebrated on February the 14th, Um, who apparently um, St. Valentine died on that day in 269 Uh, It became associated with romantic love though, much later in the 14th and 15th centuries, um, I believe with kind of all these emerging notions of courtly love and um, uh, associations of lovebirds and early spring and all that kind of business. So specifically, these romantic connotations come from Chaucer, um, who wrote. Oh, I love Chaucer. Think
0: He's an absolute filth bag.
1: Isn't he a filth bag? And we think he gave us yes. the first Valentine's uh, Valentine's Day specific poetry, not the first love poetry, but Valentine's Day. Uh, I've got it. Do you want to hear it?
0: Sure. Are there, d- are there dicks in it?
1: <laughs> uh not so much and also um i'm gonna give you the modern english version not the middle english version um okay. because we already sort of massacred poetry from burn's night so i thought i'd give everyone a break um so oui. it's <laughs> 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 yeah i'm, I'm gonna go with we um so <laughs> it goes for this was on saint valentine's day when every bird comes there to choose his match of every kind that men may think of and that so huge a noise they they began to make that earth and air and tree and every lake was so full that not easily was there space for me to stand so full was all the place so he's associating basically you know Birds and mating and uh, spring and all that sort of stuff with St. Valentine's Day. He wrote this, apparently for the, well he did, for the engagement of King Richard II of Britain and Anne. Um, they were both 15 at the time, actually. And the thing about that is um, that was the 2nd of May that the the treaty for their marriage was signed because obviously, like most royal weddings, it was a It was a political treaty, you know, looking for peace of some kind. So Richard II of England was with Anne, who was the daughter of the Holy Roman Emperor. So they were forming allegiances with the Roman Empire and also Bohemia to try and ward off France, right? So that's why we know so much about about the date and who they were. Um, The thing about that date is um, that the day after, on the 3rd of May, was... um, The celebration of Valentine of Genoa, who was an early bishop of Genoa, who died in about 307 CE. So when Chaucer is talking about St. Valentine's Day, it may be the one from February, but he may have been referring to the one that was the day after the treaty on the 3rd of May. So actually, again, very unclear, not entirely sure whether that St. Valentine's Day was the St. Valentine's Day that we know of. Um, either so way, any
0: blocks that forget, mm-hmm. they can just claim that. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize we're celebrating that. Valentine I, was, Day. Oh, I was, I was to say Valentine of Genoa. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's
0: awesome.
1: exactly. Um, their marriage only lasted twelve years because Dan Anne died of the plague. <laughs> oh. Just, I just need to like cut through some <laughs> of the romance of Valentine's Day with. <laughs> Well, they didn't have any children. Richard II was probably gay and died of the plague. <laughs> so there you go. Oh, young um <laughs> <laughs> in um 18th century England, it really grows into an occasion where couples are expressing their love for each other by presenting flowers, offering confectionery, sending greeting cards which then become known as Valentines. So all of the romantic embellishments that you hear of the St. Valentine's stories, like you might hear that he signed um, the last letter before his execution as your Valentine, or you might hear that he was known for conducting illegal wedding ceremonies um, that Rome had forbidden, uh, and that's kind of why he was associated with love. All of that actually comes from the 18th century. Not from his time, not from Galatians, not from Chaucer. It's all much later. Um, in 1797, as an example, a British publisher issued The Young Man's Valentine Writer, which had um, <laughs> a series of sentimental verses for young lovers who were unable to compose their own. <laughs> so it's like the beginning of those <laughs> gross hallmark poems inside of cards, um, but instead they just put them all in a book and they're like, there you go. They're all there. Do them yourself if you don't have the imagination. <laughs> And then I want to pick up in um, uh, 1840 because you get these postal reforms around then. There's a real massive reduction in postal rates because it used to be quite expensive to you know send a love letter, for example. But um, we get the invention of the Penny Black in 1840 and the number of Valentines increases from 60,000 to 400,000 sent just one year after its invention. So really, this is when it all explodes in terms of sending, um, you know, Valentine's letters and cards and things like that. And it also kind of pushes in this, I guess, less personal, but easier practice of of mailing your Valentines. And it also means that they can become anonymous. So what happens when people are able to communicate anonymously with other people?
0: Dick pics.
1: Well essentially yes um (laughs) (laughs) not specifically dick pics but everything gets a little more saucy yeah you get all the racy verses that have come in instead of just the romance you know you get um in in what was quite you know, considered that the Victorian age was quite prudish. I mean, they weren't really like behind closed doors. They were extra dirty because they had to be so prudish in public, but you get all these like sexy, racy verses um, emerging because they can do it anonymously for the first time. But yeah, it's true. Any you are allowed to anonymize yourself, things just get dirty.
0: <laughs> I want to caress your ankles.
1: <laughs> oh, it was dirtier than that, but, but thank you for being specific <laughs> about my lovely ankles um valentine's was actually really the first super commercial holiday it set the blueprint for you know what was going to happen to halloween and christmas and all these other things it's the first one that really exploded in terms of everyone selling things it was a factory industry you know dickens talks about how um, valentine's just became this factory process of things being churned out so it's it really was it's i think it's quite telling that the, the first one we decided to really commercialize was all about love <laughs> um some more modern facts in the uk just under half the population spend money on valentines and around 1.9 billion pounds was spent the last figure i got is from 2015 on cards flowers chocolates and other gifts
0: bloody hell that's insane
1: yeah apparently in the us the the average per person is something around 180 (gasps) dollars
0: oh my god
1: which is crazy um Do you know who spends the most money on Valentine's gifts? where Valentine's Day is kind of celebrated the most hardcore?
0: Well, I I did kind of, on my research, find some bits and bobs. Didn't read into it too much, but I did find it interesting that in certain Asian countries, they airbit out across a month, which I guess would be pretty costly
1: yes so it, it is east asia um singapore mm-hmm. china south korea those ones spend yeah. by far the most money it's taken really seriously um i think it's taken very seriously as an opportunity to couple up because they have a slightly different approach to um to, to romance and marriage uh, perhaps over there what i prefer mm-hmm. is the approach from latin america a lot of latin american <laughs> um countries like mexico and puerto rico and colombia it's friends day they they consider it to be a day oh. about affection rather than romantic love, and so they will do like we have Secret Santa here. They will have Secret Friend here, and you kind of mix up and you will get your friends different gifts and celebrate friendship. It's not just Latin America, That's actually. They nice. also do it in our old with our old friends Estonia and Finland. Oh. Friends' Day.
0: Good work teams. I like that.
1: Yeah, I do. Yeah,
0: do. I I read about um in East Asia they have a tradition where. There were lots of different separate traditions. It all kicks off with I think women are supposed to give men chocolates to show yes. their appreciation and yeah, I there are lots that's of different nuances.
1: Called White Day. So some mm-hmm. of them have traditions where men will give gifts to women, then women will give gifts to men, as you say, on different days. I think it's called White Day. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Um there are some stories you may have heard about the origins of Valentine's Day being pre-Christian with a festival called Lupercalia which Mm -hmm. was um, a festival from ancient Rome that's um, that was observed annually on February the 15th and it was really there to as a festival of purification so to purify the city and health and also as part of that fertility although it actually wasn't mainly a fertility festival as as some people seem to think now. Um, It was also known as Februatus. Um, after the, the purification um, uh, towards feb- Februar or februum. Um, that's also the basis for the month, obviously, Fe- february, februarius, or juno, uh, juno, februa. So februa is purification. Februis actually means fever, um, which is connected to the idea of sweating out to purify. So sweaty february, as uh, we may otherwise call it.
0: <laughs>
1: <Yum>. uh, <laughs> um... <laughs> So the the name Lupicalia is believed to have come uh, from uh, ancient Greek festival of Arcadian Lycaea, which is a wolf festival. So it's tied to the the deity Lycaean Pan and also to the she-wolf that fed Rome's founders, Romulus and Remus. Uh, I will read you an extract from Plutarch to elaborate on some of this. Uh, Many of the noble youths and of the magistrates run up and down through the city naked for sport and laughter, striking those they meet with shaggy thongs. Not not panty thongs. Uh, Thong was was a strip of leather. Uh, And many women of rank also purposely get in their way and like children at school present their hands to be struck believing that the pregnant will thus be helped in delivery and the barren to pregnancy. So um, this this is kind of where that idea potentially from that Roman version of the festival that it's to do with fertility comes from, is that if you got slapped with a stringy bit of leather, AKA thong, it would in some way help your fertility and your pregnancy. Um, there are stories as well <laughs> around Leapagalia that names were drawn out of a hat to create annual couplings. So this is one that, that I heard a lot, that um, basically every year, uh, single people would throw their name in a hat, you got drawn randomly, and that was your coupling for the year, and you would just sort of see how it goes. There is actually no evidence for this. Uh, <laughs> as far as I can tell, I mean, someone in the 20th century time. made this up. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's also a story you're
0: stuck with someone a year and you think they're an absolute dick. <laughs>
1: we well, don't have, the, the point was you didn't have to stay with them for a year. It was an excuse to try oh. out someone new. So if you had been with them and you weren't like, nah, you just throw your hat and your name back in the hat. That's the idea of the story. But the <laughs> thing is that probably didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's also sorry that, uh, Galatius the first, who was the one who established Valentine's had canceled Lupercalia and replaced it with that. Um, but again, there's actually no evidence that <laughs> Lupercalia was, was abolished by the Pope. Um, so it seems to me, looking at this sort of Lupercalia history, a myth, it's yet another one of those things that probably started out as um, a, lo- a sort of local history cult and celebration in Greece. It got adopted by Rome. They, as ever, turned it into a sex party. <laughs> Of people getting Good naked way, and guys. whipping each other. Um, and that's why it was so looked down on by you know by the, the the Roman elite as opposed to it being about persecuting another religion. It was, you know, we kind of went through this in the Dionysus episode. So as far as I can tell, it actually doesn't bear that much relation <laughs> to to what became Valentine's. If I was gonna say in a nutshell where our version of Valentine's comes from, I think it is um, as I said, from Richard II. And he really put a lot of support behind the English language, behind literature, behind language becoming a literature language. Um, generally, the excesses of arts and culture and court life. He didn't go to war. He wasn't a war person. He liked kind of all the nice things. He was described as the most beautiful king and lacking manliness so uh, make of that what you will and um, in particular <laughs> Chaucer was his clerk, he was his diplomat and he was his customs official so you know without Richard II Chaucer would not probably have had the support to be able to write as much as he did and be able to print as much as he did and it seems to be he who kickstarted the romantic poetry associated with Valentines so I think that's where it comes from
0: um, Can I talk about wheels a bit?
1: I'll make a change <laughs> <laughs> no please do I um, want to know the Welsh take as ever
0: well we've got our own patron saint of lovers did you know
1: um I did not
0: well we do her is name it, is, is it
1: Shirley Bassey.
0: Saint... no it's Charlotte Church
1: close <laughs> <laughs> okay uh
0: no it's uh Saint Dwyne so um instead of uh valentine's day in wales we celebrate doing wednesday or dave Santes doing one um and it's it's usually well it's always it's the 25th of january so it's a just under a month before your regular valentine's day mm-hmm. uh, it's the same night as burns night actually so most mm-hmm. all the scots are doing their haggis and whiskey the welsh people are Getting drunk and eating chips, I guess that's just what we do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was say, how how is that different to any other night?
0: So yeah, Saint Doinwen is an interesting character. I will uh, give you some history, and you can pass your judgments. She made some choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Saint doinwen she was the daughter of King Brachen. Now, he inherited the kingdom of Brechenjog, which is in English Brecon. You've probably heard of Brecon. Mm-hmm. So the king of Brecon. Uh, legend has it, Dwynewyn was the prettiest of all of the king's daughters. Um, he had 24 daughters. 24. <sighs> Just No. Pass. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't imagine the arguments to get in the bathroom in that house mm. um, so yes St Dwyllyn was fit uh, she fell in love with a prince Prince Maelion, Uh and her dad didn't approve because he'd already arranged a marriage for her to somebody else uh, Maileon got very 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 angry and raged against Dwyllyn and she fled into the woods Uh, In the woods, she begged God to help her forget Mylion, because she just couldn't deal. Um, God visited her in her sleep, good old God, and gave her a potion to erase all memory of Mylion. uh, And also, just for good measure, to turn him into a block of ice as well. Sure. So once all that was done, um, he granted her three wishes. So God went full genie and said, okay... Done all that, but three wishes as well. So her first wish—this is where I get a bit—what? Mm, so her f- first wish was for God to thaw my Leon. Uh, she claimed that she'd shown strength in her heartbreak to move on, mm-hmm. and was like, "Yeah, you can thaw him now." Like one, it's like well, I thought she'd forgotten him. That portion's a bit dodgy because she was supposed to forget. All memory of him. But right. suddenly she remembers him, and she thaws him out. And I'm already
1: I'm already suspect of the accuracy of this historical research.
0: Mm, yeah, there's a lot of things to unpick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, as well as uh, thawing him out, she asked for God to look kindly on the hopes and dreams of all true lovers. That was her second <sighs> wish. What a waste of a wish. Uh, and her, her last wish I quite like it uh, she just said I never want to get married.
1: okay so. all right well this I mean they're quite contrasting wishes aren't they?
0: <laughs> yeah she seems very interesting so put it
1: to put it kindly she seems a bit all over the place.
0: <laughs> She's a mess a hot mess because um, once all three wishes were fulfilled uh, to thank God she vowed to spend her day her, the rest of her days as a nun. Uh, so she did, she devoted her life to God and she lived in a small island uh, in Anglesey so that was a a roller coaster, really of just like yeah I'm really hot and I'm in love with this prince, oh daddy won't let me marry him, I'm a nun now and he's a block of ice, never mind (laughs) 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 and that's that's what we get in Wales, that's That's our um, that's uh, what you believe in Wales right Well, a lot of people do this. This is the worst bit, right? There's a church in Anglesey that people go to. It's like a pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. Um, Dwynewyn's Well is always there. I, I don't understand what the well has to do with it because it doesn't even have any significance in the story. But everyone flocks to Dwynewyn's Well in uh, Anglesey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apparently, if when you're visiting the well with your loved one and the water boils in your presence, it's good luck. So I'm uh,
1: I'm not sure uh, if that's good I, luck for the climate if um, <laughs> if the well water is boiling don't drink it.
0: Yeah so um that that is the interesting uh, Welsh take on Valentine's. That's what we celebrate and when I say well, that's what we celebrate we really don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know I know so many people who are like Saint doino like what I, I guarantee most Welsh people won't know when it is. Um, but it doesn't stop the marketing bods from flogging their wares. So of as I mentioned, it wasn't that long ago, Saint Doing Wednesday, Day, and there were lots of articles doing the rounds targeted at people in Wales for, you know, what to drink this Doing Wednesday and they were just mm-hmm. promoting Welsh alcohol. Um so I thought I'd share some. Penderyn whiskey, I believe I gave you a bottle of that. You
1: did, wine. and I no longer have it mm. because I drank it all.
0: It is tasty. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's made with fresh spring water and distilled in the Brecon Peacons. Very, very nice whiskey. Uh, Aberfall's Gin. That's a distillery up in North Wales. Uh, They make lots of tasty gins. My favourite one being orange marmalade, because I can get away with drinking that and saying it's a breakfast drink. (laughs) Um, Then I went off piste a bit then, because I thought, do you know what? It's very rare I get to wax lyrical about Welsh drinks that I like on this podcast. So I'm just going to name some of my faves. Uh, Beeriff, They are probably, actually, I think I have spoken about these guys
1: in the past. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Beeriff are my favourite. They are a lovely team of people down in Swansea that make tasty craft beers. They've got my favourite called Flamingo Lingo. Uh, just because I was conscious that there was not much lovey-dovey Valentine stuff in this section, I thought oh, I'd pin- pull it back and mention that they do uh, a session peel called Easy Lover. <laughs> I
1: just thought, an easy lover. <laughs> da, da, da,
0: da. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, funnily enough, the next one is Singing Common People at the Karaoke. <laughs> <That's>
1: <laughs> yes, we've all done the, that.
0: One of the beers are called that, so yeah. And again, tenuous link to Valentine's Day, they do a nice deep red sour called a sharp dressed sour, which um, is made of black cherry, morello cherry, blueberries and maple. And it is delicious.
1: That sounds great.
0: It is good. And the last but not least is a new distillery called the Spirit of Wales in South Wales. Uh, They've been going since 2017. They make gin, they make Welsh moonshine, um, and they distill everything through Welsh snow crystals, pure gold, and they blend it with this really, really good mineral water called Brecon Carrick. Never heard of it. I don't know if you've heard of them. No, never uh, heard of it. It's just really good water. So yeah, it's just a distillery that Mm. exclusively uses that water for their. Right. Some good shit.
1: can't help mm-hmm. but feel that you had an ulterior motive for this section can't put my finger on it but I'm just getting a vibe
0: no no nothing no. absolutely nothing nothing. Nope.
1: nothing at all to do with the first commercialised holiday um <laughs> <laughs> okay thank you was that Was that it are you done you're welcome <laughs> that's it <laughs> Thanks, Wales. put the
0: advert in for Breck and Carrick
1: <laughs> right yeah we'll back on that um <laughs> Thanks, Wales. I'm going to take you to Scotland. Uh, let's let's hop Ooh, over okay. this island. Uh, Am I, want to I tell like you breakfast now? <laughs> you are still not allowed breakfast. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wanted to tell you about a drink that was made by Innocent Gun called Fifty Shades of Green. So obviously, this is a riff on Fifty Shades of Grey. The sort of sexy novel that people read a lot on their kindles on the train because no one could tell they were reading it and then it was made into those stultifyingly dull films um but in this version 50 shades of green it's because they've made it with 50 kinds of hops um as well as some other ingredients that are claimed to have stimulating properties that's what i thought 50 hops my word that is certainly hoppy Um, So they describe it as mellow, however, intense, seductively Mm. spicy. Um, They've included hops like Srirachi Ace from Japan and Pacific Jade from New Zealand. Um, And they've combined the hops with other stimulating ingredients like ginseng, as you said earlier, a legit aphrodisiac. Yeah, yeah, ginseng to get your sex dry firing on all cylinders, they said, which Mm -hmm. is... (laughs) <laughs> it's a little bit top gear for me. Um Ginkgo <laughs> to get the blood pumping, Damiana, which is a nerve stimulant. Um they uh, they put out their marketing statement. They said, We had a lot of fun making this beer. Um I'm doing it in this voice because I feel that's the attitude, not necessarily the Scottish accent. We had a lot of fun making this beer. Doing things that have never been done before in brewing, much like couples will be doing behind closed doors once they've seen the film. <laughs> <laughs> You sound like Troy McClure. I could have done Troy McClure, but yeah. no, It was a bit more sort of cynical marketing pervy, I thought. Um, A clear (laughs) tie-up with a terrible film. So, uh, yeah, anyway, Fifty Shades of Green, lots of hops and other stimulants. Uh, I also, as a result of that, looked at the uh, European Journal of Epidemiology, because why not? And um, this was their kind of associated how beer can help you in the bedroom rundown. I'm going to go through the tips first and then I'm going to make a closing comment. So, uh, number
0: one.
1: (laughs) Having that pint can delay premature ejaculation. Phytoestrogens in alcohol overload the body and are proven to delay orgasm, according to Dr. Van Kirk. Two, drinking darker beers can also act as an aphrodisiac, boosting the libido and giving longer, more intense erections... The iron in darker beer helps red blood cells create haemoglobin, which carries oxygen around the body. This improves circulation and gives a stronger erection, says Dr. Van Kirk. Three, the third benefit of beer drinking is an increase in sexual stamina, according to research published in the European Journal of Epidemiology. The study found 31% of moderate beer drinkers had reduced risk of cardiovascular disease compared to non-drinkers. This means beer drinkers are less likely to suffer from heart attacks, strokes, or heart disease, according to the study. Four, when paired with exercise, beer helps keep your heart healthier, giving you more cardio endurance. And five, probiotics and vitamin B in beer can help fortify your overall health and settle the stomach, meaning men are less likely to feel sluggish during sex uh, after a cold one, says (laughs) Dr. Van Kirk. So first of all, my comment is really... um, And my second comment is, they seem to believe that sex is for men. (laughs) All of that was about (laughs) erections and ejaculate. (laughs) Dr. Dr. Van Kirk needs to widen his horizons, is my my first comment on that. Um, And second of all, uh, I think obviously there is always going to be a sweet spot (laughs) in drinking, (laughs) whereby it gets you in the mood. And then you take it too far, and your um, your erection probably isn't going to be more intense. They are definitely, abun- amongst all that nonsense, though. They are right. I know about the um, the if you're a moderate drinker, you're at lower risk of cardiovascular disease than if you're non-drinkers. That's quite well documented. Um, yeah. Not but it's that fine alcohol is fine not, line. <laughs> yeah. Not that alcohol is healthy for you, but it's more likely that people who abstain from things completely have high levels of stress and stress is one of the main contributors mm-hmm. to cardiovascular uh, problems so that's probably why any comments on that
0: um well actually i <laughs> i took the time to do a bit more deeper research into sex and alcohol and the effects so
1: you saying you went deeper than dr van kirk
0: i did I've I've got a full list of some sexy myth busting we could do.
1: Ah, okay. Yeah, I'm ready. It would
0: have innocent Gun shaking in their boots.
1: I can't <laughs> I can't promise. I won't put some seventies porn music under this.
0: Okay. Uh, so yeah, I'm just gonna make some statements, and you have to decide whether true or false okay so alcohol it increases sexual desire
1: um well technically it does but to a point so I'm gonna say true in and of itself but there are limits
0: bang on I, I'd kind of written sort of yeah <laughs> uh so one or one or two may boost arousal that is we're allowed to say that Hmm. Mm-hmm. um in females in particular, so yeah, up yours, innocent gun, just chatting about the men. In the females in particular, uh, alcohol increases testosterone, which plays a role in sexual desire. Uh, so after one or two, there's a testosterone lift in women and it can boost that. But what
1: what hormone are you saying?
0: Testosterone.
1: Okay. <laughs> you went, th- there was definitely Testosterone. <laughs> And I was like, oh, now is that I testosterone know? or is it progesterone? Te-
0: not progesterone, no. Testosterone. Okay. <laughs> Testost.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um. So yeah, it may increase that in females. Testosterone um, um, after one or two. And that can increase sexual desire. But we can't deny that booze is also linked to... The lowering of inhibitions which makes you feel a bit sexier and a bit confident so it kind of goes hand in hand so it might be that it might be your hormone shifts but anything beyond you know a couple of drinks you're just gonna be drunk mm-hmm, <laughs> not mm-hmm. sexier
1: <laughs> sure objectively not sexier <laughs>
0: <laughs> second statement yeah it's harder to orgasm if you've had a Alcohol.
1: Um, I'm tempted to say the same answer, but instead I will just say true. I think it is harder.
0: Yes, it is true. And, um one or two will affect it slightly but not so much that it's going to be a pain in the neck Uh Um, but one too many can have a physiological cognitive and behavioral impact which can cause alcohol-induced orgasmic dysfunction so it will take longer to climax if you climax at all and it'll be less intense and satisfying so if you have a skinful probably gonna be a bit frustrating gotcha um, number three, mm-hmm. alcohol makes it harder for guys to have an erection.
1: Um, I would presume so, true.
0: Yes, it's a thing. It affects your ability to get and maintain an erection. Um, and actually, if you drink too much regularly, it can be a permanent thing. Uh, so... Alcohol discre- decrease. can't speak today. Alcohol decreases blood flow. It increases wanna say this word right. Angiotensin.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So angiotensin is a hormone which is linked to um erectile dysfunction. Uh it also depresses your central nervous system. So all in all, whiskey dick is a thing.
1: Mm-hmm do you know what I have a very specific memory of being in school I think I was maybe 13 and we had to write in biology Mm -hmm. um we had to we had to write a couple of pages on the effects of alcohol and people were all like oh it damages your liver it does this it does this and I wrote all of mine about drinkers droop (laughs) as I called it (laughs) And the teacher thought it was so brilliant, she gave me a merit point for it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good work.
1: Thank you. Uh,
0: Last but one, we have drinking alcohol delays ejaculation.
1: Um, Yes, it does. I think I I mentioned that from, um, possibly from Dr. Van Kirk. So I'm going to say, I'm going to stick <laughs> with Dr. Van Kirk and say, yes, it does.
0: Yes, Yes, yes. You did mention it. It does. Uh, obviously, the more you drink, the more it will do that. Um, it's an interesting time frame they put in it. It's taking longer than 30 minutes to reach orgasm. Um, I think like that's not too long. I think I wouldn't be annoyed if somebody taking 30 minutes. <laughs> I'd be like, no. <laughs> well, Another glass?
1: <laughs> it depends whether, like... You, if, like me, you ordered your delivery before you got started, just so it arrived on time, then, you know, if you mm-hmm. live in a good True. catchment area like I do, you don't want it to last more than 30 minutes because otherwise you're not going to be done by the time your pizza arrives.
0: Yeah, but I live in Swansea, mate,
1: so... Well, you've got... Yeah, exactly. You've got longer <laughs> to wait. <It's> understandable.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. Um, I call it... I call it one. the Papa John effect. <laughs>
0: oh god (laughs) there he is
1: next next time you're doing it you're gonna think of papa john
0: (laughs) i'm gonna have to explain as well but like sorry i can't i can't sorry sorry chris i'm
1: thinking of papa john
0: (laughs) (laughs) can you imagine if i said it (laughs)
1: i but i fully believe you will now (laughs) we've said it too many times for it not to happen it's there (laughs) it's
0: gonna come out papa john (laughs) Uh, okay next (laughs) the last one Uh uh-huh beer goggles is it a thing uh
1: do you mean specifically like to find people hotter when you when you drink yes oh well yes
0: does alcohol make yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, no surprise in the many studies uh, where people have been asked to rate people for attractiveness and then they've been given some booze. But um, interestingly, ratings increased most for people who had actually rated somebody as not attractive. <laughs> so they'd outright gone when they were sober, like, mm. they are not attractive. And then they'd been given some booze and they were like, yeah, I would. <laughs> Interesting. Was, those ratings increased even more. Like, if there was somebody that said, oh, yeah, she's a good seven or eight out of ten, mm-hmm. they might have increased by a couple of numbers, what I drunk! But, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the most increased ratings were from unattractive to yeah. wood bang.
1: So it's you're <laughs> saying it's a, a bell curve?
0: <laughs> yes. you are on fire tonight.
1: Thank you. <laughs> Something is... <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I'm, I'm getting too. two. <laughs> uh, thank you. I don't want to you. talk about it anymore.
0: I'm done.
1: No, we've, we've successfully um, ruined both sex and romance. Uh, so let's let's move on to our closer, I guess. Um, sex on the beach?
0: no, no thank you. It's no. the sand.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's abrasive and it keeps coming yeah. out of the shower for days, isn't it?
0: And um, sh- don't get me starting on crabs.
1: <sighs> yep. Um, so I am, of course, talking about the cocktail, Sex on the <laughs> Beach, uh, <laughs> which um, is obviously not going to be for you. It contains vodka, it contains peach schnapps, orange juice and cranberry juice, um, according to the International Bartenders Association official cocktail. Um, but I, I obviously I had to I think I would genuinely,
0: I'd, I'd rather sand in my bits than drink one of them.
1: <laughs> yeah, you would. <laughs> you would. Um, there are uh, derivatives of it as well. So you could have sex in the driveway, which is when you replace the orange juice and cranberry with blue curacao and Sprite.
0: Oh, God.
1: Yeah. I
0: didn't think it could get worse, but it just did. (laughs) Why
1: are all these romance cocktails so disgusting? (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Um, Yeah, sex in the driveway, if that's your thing. Um, If you have sex on the beach without the orange juice, it's called a woo-woo. Which I think is named after (laughs) someone's downstairs. What do you call yours? (laughs) Nunny. (laughs)
0: Weirdly, I had this conversation the other day, um, and I realised how weird my name was for mine when I was a kid. I used to call her my Polly <laughs> <laughs> Pollyanne.
1: Is that in any way named after <laughs> the film Pollyanna? The girl with the pigtails? I
0: don't know. <laughs> Does yours have, have pigtails?
1: <laughs> uh, any more context behind yeah, that oh or
0: yeah. no none we were talking okay. about it because um, yeah my, my brother and his wife not long had a baby and they're like I don't know why but they're thinking about that like oh god what are we gonna are we gonna give her genitals a name or are we just gonna <laughs> refer to them as a vagina um,
1: do you like have to do <laughs> that for the baptism now <laughs> do you have to sort of <laughs> does that have to be named no, for I when you wet think, it like
0: I just think my sister-in-law has been reading lots of baby books and she was just like i'm just gonna you know be very scientific about it and if she asks like what's this it's your vagina She's not gonna say it's your polly ann or anything weird <laughs>
1: well that's just reminded me that i have, I have a friend who um her, her mother took that approach was like i'm just gonna call it a vagina because that's what it is and um mm. uh, my friend as a child obviously didn't recognized the word vagina and didn't understand what it was and so for years she ended up calling it my giant My <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God. Like>, mummy <laughs> my giant itches
0: <laughs> oh god
1: <laughs> <laughs> i won't name the person but um <laughs> so you know like all good intentions it's always gonna have a name <laughs> it's always gonna have one Oh, okay. Surely Uh, you
0: had a name for your when No, wait, you're not getting away with this. You had a mm, name for your penis, surely. Not that I
1: remember, you know. I think it was always just Willy, which is fairly standard. It's not a particularly specialised one. But in recent years, (laughs) I have come to prefer the term uh, Winky or Wang. Always beginning with a W. Winky or Wang.
0: Or you could just go for your giant, to be fair.
1: Or my giant's. Yeah, exactly. My front giant.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, there is an alcohol-free <laughs> version of Sex on the Beach, which is sometimes called Safe Sex on the Beach, which I think is rubbish. The, not Safe Sex, just mm-hmm. the, the name. Um, Cuddles on the Beach, which I think is marginally better. At least it's better than the other version, which is Virgins on the Beach, which it just feels a bit Wicker Man.
0: I feel, I don't know, cuddles on the beach gives me the ick, if I'm honest. Is that worse That's for you? It's a bit groomy.
1: You don't, yeah, you don't like to be cuddled me, afterwards, yeah. you just roll over, fart and go to sleep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just, come on, make me a pot noodle. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: let me ask a question, do you remember the song Sex on the Beach?
0: Yes, wanna have sex on the beach. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes exactly yeah. that's what we all remember <laughs> that bit <laughs> a song by the one of our, my favorite genres of music dutch euro dance uh, <laughs> from the group teaspoon <laughs> oh God! <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was released in 97 uh, i just wanted to let you know that in its native netherlands it got to number three in the uk it got to number two well, so there was a country where it got to number one. Can you guess what it is?
0: Oh, I want to say Iceland.
1: No, mate, it's Japan. It's always Japan.
0: Oh, they, of course. They
1: love our insane European pop. Um, mm. But I also wanted to let you know that in some countries uh, they, they were not happy with the term sex on the beach, and so it got changed to fun on the beach. <laughs> Come <laughs> on, have fun on the beach. <laughs> really doesn't work, does it? Oh, They
0: should have um, gone for cuddles.
1: They should have gone for cuddles on the beach. Um, my, my other favourite thing about that is uh, there was a review by a Scottish newspaper who called it a song about hypothermia. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Scotland. Keeping it real. <laughs> um, French kiss. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so you may, you may be familiar with a gin and champagne cocktail called French 75. Um, but mm-hmm. you can turn French 75 into a French kiss by the addition of raspberries, basically. So you can have a, a raspberry infused gin or raspberry, raspberry liqueur, champagne to top it up. And then maybe if you fancy, throw in some raspberries and rose petals for garnish. But that is called a french kiss cocktail which i feel like you would be down with of all the ones we've spoken about i feel like that's the one isn't it
0: Mm, yeah it is
1: yeah um i also wanted to let you know that there is some scientific research into french kissing or the technical term of tongue touching um and it does in fact stimulate endorphin release and reduce stress levels So it's good for you scientifically. To lay some tongue on tongue, just in case you're ever feeling a bit stressed or down, get those endorphins flowing with some tonguing. Okay. Where do you with my
0: boss?
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Just for anyone anyone in the workplace who's feeling a bit stressed, I think you know if there's anything we've learned through the pandemic, it's you can just approach your colleagues and ask for support.
0: Yeah, you need the endorphins. Yeah, tongue me.
1: Where do you think the French kiss comes from?
0: Is this going to be like a QI trick question? If I say France,
1: wah, wah. <laughs> that's my
0: <laughs> that's my siren.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, it's a QI style approach. Um, so the term French kiss originated in Britain and America um, in the twentieth century. So the French had a reputation for being more, you know, passionate and adventurous with their sexual practices. Um, And actually, this is this is a habit that happens the world over and has always happened. That if something is a little bit sexy, we tend to just associate it with another country, whether it comes from them or not, because we don't admit that we do it. So the French kissing came from America and Great Britain. In France, they actually used to call it a Florentine kiss so for them, it was it was Italian, <laughs> and you get this all over the place. Okay. You know, like um, sometimes Italians will call dirty things Spanish, and so the kind of carousel goes wrong, goes around. But they also just call it a lover's kiss in France now. I think most of all, but yeah, Florentine originally. Can you guess?
0: Meanwhile, in Glasgow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. After a buckfast or two, do never do you not accept a Glasgow kiss. Do you want to explain <laughs> that one, just in case anyone doesn't know? Uh,
0: a Glasgow kiss is if you hit you headbutt someone, mm. and that originated in Italy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, it didn't. Well, um. they call it a Welsh kiss. <laughs> um, do you want to guess how long? The longest kiss lasted for.
0: God, like French kiss or just a kiss on the lips?
1: I think it was just. I think it's just a kiss. I don't think they specified it had to have tongue.
0: Because I think your tongue would get sore if it was mm-hmm. too much tongue in. Mm-hmm. But you could kiss for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna factor in the fact that they get they can't eat whilst doing this. So how long? can you not eat for and kiss? Oh, I feel like you're
1: saying problems. that from experience because you tried. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe if I'm I just feed say... in some spaghetti. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I'm literally thinking about how whether I could like spoon some soup in but still kiss. <laughs> I'm going to say no, no, no eating. So mm-hmm. 45 hours
1: it was 58 hours 35 minutes 58 seconds and it was achieved oh. by a couple from thailand um which was organized uh, an event organized by ripley's believe it or not uh, that was in 2013 there were nine couples who entered this annual competition uh including a married couple who were in their 70s but it was uh, it was this uh yeah this thai couple um pair who, uh, who came out on top. And they were actually the record holders before they broke that record. But for this, they won a cash prize and two diamond rings. And they are the Guinness World Record <laughs> holders. That's fancy, isn't it? Uh, I've got some more, some more records for you. The most hugs given in 24 hours is 8,709. And was achieved by a guy called Jonathan Sexton from the USA uh, in Tennessee in 2010. And... Um, yeah, he sort of did it as a as a fundraiser for charity. But that's a lot of hugs. That
0: is a lot of hugs.
1: Mm-hmm. You'd Although be I really feel annoyed, like wouldn't I you? Maybe if, you beat that. if one person you know, sometimes you hug someone and they just hold on a little bit too long, like you're ready to go and you sort of go limp, but they're still squeezing. Yeah. You'd be really annoyed in this record attempt, wouldn't you?
0: God yeah. <laughs> it's
1: uh, gonna have
0: to be a quick hug and next.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm. That's how I prefer it. Um longest marriage
0: a <clears throat> 103 years
1: I mean that's that's a long time don't know what kind of child brides you're pushing um no it was 86 years nine months and 16 oh. days and they were the fishers from the USA who got married in 1924 and that lasted until 2011. Uh, I thought it
0: was a big ask to go over 100. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. That would, I think, even if you went by the world's oldest man, they would have been married at about 14, so. (laughs) Hey,
0: it happened.
1: Uh, The first heart-shaped box of chocolates came to us from Richard Cadbury of the UK, who was the um, eldest son of John Cadbury, the founder of of, um, Cadbury's company. Um, so he came up with the first heart-shaped box of chocolates for Valentine's Day, specifically in 1868, when commercialisation was in full swing. Um, but he was kind of a bit of a pioneer of chocolate box design. He used his own paintings to make the lids of uh, the boxes, so actually it was it was quite a nice thing, albeit part of the commercialisation. The oldest love poem so I said that Chaucer did the oldest Valentine's one but not the oldest love poem the oldest one we have obviously comes to us from the Sumerians you know some of the oldest writing so we're looking at between 2037 and 29 BCE Um, and this was we think by the bride of the king Shusin and the poem goes bridegroom dear to my heart goodly is your beauty honey sweet lion dear to my heart goodly is your beauty honey sweet so, you know, not the most interesting poem, but she gave it a go. Um, mm-hmm. I wrote you a poem for Valentine's Day. You want to hear? Oh.
0: Yes, please.
1: Roses are red, violets are blue. Nobody chins it quite like you. Red wine is red, oh. rosé is pink. Has anyone told you you bloody stink? Beer is golden and gin is clear. Don't touch me there. I told you I'm queer. Pears make peri <laughs> and apples make cider. Illyri's always got booze in cider. <laughs> Roses are red, violets are blue. Nobody chins it quite like you.
0: Oh. I feel so loved.
1: Ah, Where's my Valentine's gift?
0: Uh, I've got some facts instead.
1: Okay, hit me. <laughs>
0: um... <laughs> <laughs> so it it was a, a very quick add-on to my uh things that i'd <laughs> written down for this podcast yeah uh, because i was having a rock and roll morning today drinking tea watching uh border control mm-hmm. and there were um there was a chap it, it just popped into my head when you said earlier about ripley's believe it or not uh there was a chap traveling through customs there and he was bringing stuff into new zealand um he worked for Ripley's and he had all this weird stuff in his bag, like a, it's like an old 17th century um, vampire gun. And he had the the femur bone of a woolly mammoth and all this crazy shit. <laughs> but he pulled up these like six little bones, thin little bones. Mm-hmm. And they were like, okay, what's this? And he was saying, oh, there's only like so many animals in the world that have penis bones. Uh, and that's what you're holding right there, is penis bones. Mm-hmm. Baculum, <laughs> so is that right? Baculum, ba- baculum, correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, do you know why some animals have baculum?
1: Oh, it. it I mean, it, isn't it to do with kind of the the way they would get an erection? Like it's it pumps out like a piston, as opposed to inflates like a balloon. <laughs>
0: Well, apparently it's because they mate so frequently and for such prolonged periods of time that bone kind of essentially just makes sure that their penis survives. <laughs> right. right. Very they
1: endurance. they do so much of it for so long. Yeah.
0: Yes, some endure- endurance boners. Literally boners. Um, so animals with baculum include red pandas, snow leopards, tigers... Southern elephant seals, brown bear, gold jackal, black striped weasels and meerkats.
1: And the Welsh.
0: And O'Leary Morgan. (laughs) 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 Uh, So yeah, I didn't write you a poem, but I just thought I'd tell you some facts about boners. No, that's much better.
1: You know me. You know me very well. (laughs) I'd always rather have a fact about baculum than a poem. (laughs) Oh, well, I think we've suitably destroyed Valentine's Day uh, for everybody. So, um, our glasses yes, have run dry. But we're
0: all feeling in the mood.
1: Yes, it's some kind of mood. Um, <laughs> our glasses have run dry, which means it's time to pucker up because we've got 58 hours, 35 minutes, and 58 seconds to beat. Cheers, everybody. Wherever I may roll, or sea the awful, you can always hear me.